back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the 28th and final day of the month of February. Hope you're all enjoying your Monday afternoons, whatever you may be doing, whether it's you're working, you're just chilling out. Hell, even if you got the day off and you just feel like listening to me, I thank you all for that. And hopefully I can provide you a distraction as I do try to do each and every single week through this crazy time going on in not just our country, but our world. But we'll save that talk for someone else to talk about. Because, you know, on the surface, I should be in a pretty decent mood today. I should be rather happy, rather pleasant, considering Saturday night, I sit there as after I come home from work and I watch my team, the Brooklyn Nets, go into Milwaukee and pull off a rather unlikely victory against a Bucks squad that you thought was poised to blow the Nets out of the building. Especially when you consider, yeah, Kyrie Irving uh, was playing, but they had just come off of getting waxed at home by the Celtics on Thursday night. They had lost six consecutive games in which Kyrie Irving got to play in. A Bucks squad that is relatively healthy outside of Brooke Lopez. And for some reason, Bobby Portis, every single time the Nets play him, seems to turn into an all-star. Hell, every time I see the Bucks in a national TV game, I feel like Bobby Portis uh, puts up 20-plus points. Tonight, or Saturday, he just decided to post up 30, and the Nets would leave him wide open from behind the three-point arc all night long. I mean, you would think after two or three makes, maybe you put at least one guy out there on him. Especially when when you know already that you're not going to be able to stop Giannis inside. So you might as well try to calm down something with the Bucs. But, hey, the Nets showed a lot of fight. I mean, Kyrie... Uh, put up an awesome uh, performance, but you've got plays from guys, whether, you know, Drummond having him as a presence inside has uh, been very helpful, had some key blocks late in this game. You had, uh, you know, guys stepping up off the bench, you know, uh, Cam Thomas had uh, some, uh, made some big shots late in this game. Seth Curry was, uh, Pretty good from behind the arc. Now that 
guys like Bruce Brown and their defense uh, doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but they uh, played p- pivotal roles. Now, all the way around, this was a very quality win for this Nets team who, you know, you thought on two or three occasions, as I said, were going to get blown out. They were down by double figures at certain points in the first half. They had a 13-point lead at one point in the third quarter, let that one get away. And when they were down by uh, eight or nine um, midway through the fourth, you thought, uh, this is going to be uh, another uh, heartbreaking uh, um, loss for a Nets squad that, is still depleted, I and mean, they are getting Durant back this week, but they're still missing some uh, key parts on this team. But they were able to hold on late, in, including where you were holding your breath with Giannis uh, and that last-second three-point attempt. But uh, otherwise, you would think that I'm in a uh, pleasant mood with that win Kevin coming back uh, at some point this week. Not likely um, either tonight or tomorrow night, but hope uh, likely before the the date that I hope for with him, which was March 18th when I'm going to be in the building. But now, a couple of things when it comes uh, to the Nets situation have me aggravated right now. Because yesterday, I think all Net fans were ready to do cartwheels. We're ready... Uh, to have a smile on their face when New York City Mayor Eric Adams um, announced that starting next Monday, all uh, vaccination requirements uh, for key to NYC, meaning indoor dining, fitness, and entertainment venues will be lifted. Don't have to be vaccinated to enter them. The problem is there's a, you know, when whenever you read something, whether it's a contract or a press re- release, what, whatever it may be, terms to anything, there's always the fine print that you have to read. There's always that little underlayering that you have to r- read. And even with this announcement, Kyrie Irving will still not be permitted to play home games at the Barclays Center because there's the rule, the private sector mandate, which restricts Kyrie still from playing in home games, although he could enter the Barclays Center as a spectator. Now, how the hell does that make sense? I Listen, all along, now I'm vaccinated, I'm boosted. I've been someone that's out there promoting hope that a lot of people uh, uh, do do the same. But at the same time, I'm not going to look down on anyone making their own personal choices that hopefully they're doing for the right reasons and not political means. But at the same time, it's never made sense to me how Kyrie Irving can't play in the Barclays Center or Madison Square Garden, but visiting players from outside the confines of New York City that are unvaccinated can play. That that part of the rule has never made sense to me. And now, still, even with this, he could enter the Barclays Center. He could be a fan in the stands or, uh, or whatnot. 
but he still couldn't suit up and play. And hell, he's allowed to practice with the team at their practice facility. I mean, hopefully this, you know, with the, in the next week to 10 days gets changed. Because as we're seeing, as things continue to evolve, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, hopefully, you know, knock on wood that I'm not saying anything that's going to totally screw things up here. But it really feels like for the first time that this pandemic is starting to edge toward what we've wanted it to be the whole time. And that's an endemic and rather than a public health crisis, something that we can manage going forward, something along the lines of the flu. But, you know, hopefully as those numbers continue to go down and what now, Eric Adams has seemed like a pretty smart guy, seemed uh, um, like um, uh, on top of things all along, unlike his predecessor. Maybe he'll realize how stupid that part of the rule is. And within the next week to 10 days, at, um, at a time when you're seeing um, mask mandates uh for indoor facilities by the CDC start to get lifted as you start to see kids in New York City go back to school without the requirement of vaccination or masks. Maybe this will get lifted as well. I, I, I'm feeling with this announcement confident, the fact that Kyrie will probably, as long as the Nets avoid the play-in scenario, be playing in home playoff games at the Barclays Center. Now, the thing that gets me also annoyed with the Nets is all along I figured, okay, with in sometime in the first 10 days of March, you're going to get Kyrie, Kevin, and Ben Simmons playing together at Barclays Center. But that doesn't seem like it's going to happen now because, oh, in Ben Simmons' ramp-up process – he has started to experience some back soreness uh, during uh, the reconditioning process. It's unclear whether he's going to uh, make his debut for the Nets anytime soon. I was hopeful for it to be a week from Thursday night when TNT has arguably the most talked about game of this season as the Nets will go into Philadelphia to play the Sixers. But it doesn't seem like that's possible. I mean, ben, what the hell were you doing with all of your, let, let's just call it time off, should we say? I mean, were you spending too much time hanging out with the Jenner sisters and the rest of the Kardashian family to stay in true top basketball condition that now you're experiencing back soreness? I mean, give me a break. I mean, I think... Part of this annoyingness with the news about Ben Simmons probably comes after watching Harden the last couple of days, you know, have two stellar performances for the Sixers. And, and what do you know? As soon as we get back from the All-Star break, oh, that hamstring is feeling a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Harden, Harden it's like he never missed any time. You know, putting up uh, the back-to-back 25 and 10 uh, plus games uh, for uh, the Sixers. 
including yesterday's triple-double at Madison Square Garden. And and then the gall of this guy, I heard about this this morning, how on Friday after his uh, debut against uh, the Timberwolves, he was asked about the criticism of his reputation, and he would go on to say, quote, I don't know why. That's for the media. The media says that. I feel like I'm one of the best teammates uh, the NBA has seen on and off the court. Just because the current situation happened, whatever happened, happened, it doesn't mean I'm a bad teammate. Me, personally, I feel like I needed to do what was best for my career and help myself and be happy. It, it doesn't harp on whether or not I'm a bad teammate. Uh, yeah, it does, because let's look at what's happened in the last year and a half with you. You purposely let yourself get out of shape in Houston once they let go, once they traded away Russell Westbrook. So you got forced your way out of there, even, and at times, as we're now hearing, you wouldn't travel with the team, which to me is a big part of building camaraderie, building relationships with the team. You would travel on your own plane so that you could go to clubs and different party destinations on the same day as games. Then you force your way out, you get to Brooklyn, and because you didn't like Kyrie Irving's choices in life and uh, were unhappy with living in New York City, as soon as things started to go bad, you start pulling the hamstring issue, start um, jagging it in certain games, and suddenly when you got to Philadelphia, oh, you were 100% seemed like nothing was ever wrong with you. And I hope... You know, when it comes to the Sixers, I hope you're aware of what you've signed up for. And you you better hope that you win a championship this year. Because if you don't win a title this year and then say you get off to a slow start next year, you're going to see the real James Harden start to show up. Someone who's a bit lazy, someone who's selfish, Someone who is more about himself than the team aspect. I mean, especially when you now have, when you're run by Daryl Morey, excuse me, who, when he was in charge of basketball operations in Houston, seemingly let James Harden do whatever the hell he wanted, you know, run amok of, of the place. So, now, even though he's in charge there, you hope that having a strong figurehead as head coach in Doc Rivers, you're going to be able to keep him in charge. But if things start to go awry, the real James Harden is going to stand up. All right, a lot I want to get to for the next oh, about 40, 45 minutes or so here. Glad you could guys uh, could take the time to join me this week. So as I always say, please put your feet up, relax, 
and continue keeping it sports with the M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3 on this uh, lovely Monday afternoon here. You know, one thing has kind of gone quietly in the, this NBA season. You know, I, I think a lot of people in the last oh month or two have been just ready to hand the MVP award over to Joel Embiid. And there was that stretch where he was going out there seemingly putting up double-doubles every night of 30 and you know 12 to 15 uh, almost every night, putting up Shaquille O'Neal in his prime-like numbers. And there's other guys that you could throw in the mix as well. You know, Steph Curry um, and the, the sensational run he, he's uh, been on this year, showing that the down years he's had the last couple, uh, a bit of a fluke. And I say down just based on his standards and based on the, the fact that he was the 100% sole focus on that offense uh, with uh, out Clay Thompson. Now, people will put the, the likes of Devin Booker and CP3 in, into the mix as well. Uh, Jimmy Butler for having uh, Miami at, on top of uh, the East. And I'm sure a few other names to throw in there. But one that is starting to get recognition. And you know, it, it feels like up until now, this guy has never been truly treated as a star in this league, but now it is starting to get some of that respect. And that would be the Chicago Bulls, DeMar DeRozan. Who, when you think about DeMar DeRozan is that career of just near misses. All those great years in Toronto that they can never seemingly get by uh, the, the Cavs. Every, every, with LeBron James, every year, whether it was LeBron and the Cavs or LeBron and the Heat, they would run into them in the postseason. Um, and uh, 
break uh, the Toronto Raptors' hearts. And then, weirdly, two things converged at the same time. LeBron left the East, left the Cavaliers, and went and joined the Lakers in the Western Conference for the first time in his career. And that same offseason, the Toronto Raptors would not just fire head coach Dwayne Casey, but would trade DeMar DeRozan in a package to get Kawhi Leonard. And we would see what what happened there. Uh, Kawhi Leonard uh, would go on a phenomenal run in the postseason the following year. Game-winning shots against the Sixers, coming back from 2-0 down against uh, the Bucks, and then upending the, while injured, still reigning, defending um, two-time NBA champion uh, Golden State Warriors en route to being a finals MVP. So DeRozan was part of all of the success building up to that moment, but leaves a year before they uh, win a championship. Kind of, I don't, you know, maybe you could put them on the same, uh, the same, uh, I don't know if you want to call it wavelength or kind of storyline almost as Don Mattingly with the Yankees. Although Don Mattingly was was forced to retire, not traded. He was forced to retire due to his back issues. And then as soon as he retires, the Yankees uh, go on their great success. But DeRozan's having a, another all-star level year. He's uh, fourth in the league in scoring. He's eighth in player efficiency rating. And the Bulls, even with all the COVID issues they had in December, all the injuries they dealt with recently to Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, Zach Levine, are second place in the East behind the Miami Heat. And since January 15th, you could argue that DeMar DeRozan is either the first or second best player in the sport as he's putting up 33 points a night uh, and shooting at a 55% clip. Hey, now, the Bulls, they seemingly got the steal of free agency last year. And you think about it, it's interesting. The Los Angeles Lakers could have had this, but LeBron James chose to go with Russell Westbrook and we've seen what a disaster that's been. Hell, last night I'm watching them get waxed by the New Orleans Pelicans, and they're turning over the ball left and right. I think they had 23 total turnovers in the game, 16 in the first half. LeBron contributed for seven himself, and even though he had his 500th career game of 30-plus points, he's looking... At times, like exasperated, looking like, I don't know if you want to call it a defeated man, but looking around like, damn, what the hell did I put together here? And now there's no doubt he he played a huge hand in putting this all together, but I'm getting a little annoyed at the wishy-washiness here. The seemingly every couple of days changing of 
of mindset when it comes to LeBron James. Because remember, during the All-Star break, all we heard about that entire weekend was how much he wanted to play with his son, LeBron James Jr., a.k.a. Bronny, eventually when if and when he makes it to the league, saying that, oh, my final year in this league will be teammates with Bronny. But then last week, last week was spent uh, in a spin cycle where he, A, he's got Rich Paul meeting with Jeannie Buss and Rob Polinka early in the week, um, talking about uh, the future with the Lakers, talking about uh, the um, uh, his commitment to winning here, a commitment uh, to this team. And then LeBron talking uh, after their loss to the Clippers on Friday, saying, quote, I see myself being with the purple and gold as long as I can play. Um but I also have a goal if that's possible. I don't know if it's possible. And if I can play with my son, I would love to do that. Is that something any man uh, would want uh, one day in life? Uh, that's uh, the coolest thing that could happen. But that doesn't mean I don't want to be with this franchise. Well, in all likelihood, the Lakers are probably not going to be in position to draft your son when it, it comes time. And as we know, your contract runs out at the end of uh, next year. And with Anthony Davis and his constant injury issues and the fact that no one's going to be willing to take Russell Westbrook's contract off your hands, you're going to have that same tune you know, a year and a half from now when you've reached free agency again. So I'm just, as much as I love and respect LeBron as a player, it feels like every couple of days he has to put out some kind of spins, some kind of different narrative on his playing career rather than just letting his on-the-court actions do the talk for him. I mean, this is why you have pieces of garbage like Skip Bayless coming always coming out and criticism criticizing him excuse me for uh, no reason whatsoever or for reasons beyond the playing court and for once i think that criticism this week might be justified now one guy who deserves a lot of criticism and you question his real commitment to the game is Zion Williamson because we are in what should be year three of Zion Williamson and we barely see this guy. You realize that he's was when he was drafted since when he was drafted in 2019, the New Orleans Pelicans have played 205 games and of those 205 games he's only played in 85 of them since then there was him tearing his meniscus in the preseason uh before his rookie year delaying his uh debut for three months then 
the the season got stopped because of the bubble or because of the pandemic. They come back in the bubble. He didn't play there. Last year, he uh, dealt with uh, injury issues on and off. Didn't play uh, back-to-back games, I think, until after the All-Star game uh, last year. And then this year, in um, before the season starts, it was announced he suffered a fractured foot and underwent surgery. And then there was a setback in mid-December pushing um, his return date until around the All-Star break. And newsflash, the All-Star break has passed, and we still have not seen Zion Williamson. Add on to that, that not only um, did he not contact C.J. McCollum after he was traded there from the Portland Trailblazers, which when you're the... I don't care how young you are. He's been marketed as the face of that franchise. Any good teammate, when you acquire a new player in a trade, whether it's a bit player or it's a guy in McCollum who's one of the top 50 players in this sport, it's common courtesy to call them or text them and welcome them to the team uh, with open arms, try to build a relationship, but he hasn't done that. Hell, have you got... Maybe I'm missing something. Has anyone even seen him at any Pelican games whatsoever? And they've been on national TV more than they should. I mean, I know they're trying to make a little run here, still, you know, catch up in the play-in tournament. They're they're currently, I believe, twelfth in the West right now. And you know, with the McCollum trade, hoping uh, that sparks uh, them and make a bit of a, a late-season push here. But now now you're seeing that he wasn't even included last week in an email that was sent out to season ticket holders uh, promoting ticket sales for next year. Now that the Pelicans, they've been put in an awful spot here by a kid who, let's face it, has not earned the right to call his own shots yet in in the sport. We know, we've seen the talent of this guy. We saw it at Duke. We saw it um, for bits and pieces in, um, so far in his NBA career. But we haven't seen enough of it where you should be letting your franchise get run by a 21, soon-to-be 22-year-old kid who... You really have to question his commitment to uh, playing in this sport because all of these injuries are based on one thing. This kid is out of shape. There is no way. Now, it's one thing if you're playing in the NFL and you're built the size of him. 6'6 and reportedly listed at 284 pounds. I say reportedly, but he, he looks every bit of a biscuit short of 300 pounds. But, you know, in the NBA, where you're running up and down uh, the court all game long, you're expected when you're in a starting player to play anywhere from uh, 30 to 36 minutes per game. And you're continuing to have injuries that 
are in the lower half of your body, it's definitely a sign that he's not keeping himself in the best of shape. And I don't know whether it's he has poor nutritionists or he's purposely doing this to try and force his way out of New Orleans, but his actions are clearly showing that he is not committed to the Pelicans long-term. And that's brought up an interesting discussion around these parts in the last you know, week to 10 days. Because let's go back three years. And when you think about it, it, it seems like this was so long ago with everything that has not just happened in the sports world, but in the world in general. Everything that we as a society have dealt with. Three years ago at this time, the Knicks had just traded Kristaps Porzingis. And even though the Knicks were bad, there was a, a lot of Knicks fans that had their dreams set a mile high. They were saying to themselves, all right, we're going to win the draft lottery, get Zion, and then we're going to sign Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving or um, Kawhi Leonard, at least two of those three, in free agency due to the fact that we have room for two max slots. We we went against the grain, brought in a lot of... uh, you know, non-traditional basketball uh, executives, guys that were agents rather than um, basketball operations backgrounds, trying to change things up. And look what's happened since. Durant and Irving end up in Brooklyn. Kawhi um, spurns you and goes to the Clippers. And... You guys end up with the number three overall pick in that draft, drafting R.J. Barrett, who's turned out to be a pretty good uh, player in his own right. Looks like a guy that could develop into eventually being an all-star. But before him were drafted Ja Morant, who is a human highlight reel and has the Grizzlies in a top position in the um, Western Conference, and Zion Williamson, who even for um, all the time he's missed, we all still agree is immensely talented. Well, if you're the, the Knicks and you're seeing this all go on, and you're seeing that clearly Zion Williamson's stock is at a low compared to what it was three years ago at this time, don't you got to make the call this coming off season and try to trade for this guy. And I'm not saying give up the farm and you know give up three first future first round draft picks uh and RJ Barrett um along with either um you know Obi Toppin or Emmanuel quickly to get him. But I'm saying, you know, maybe one of those young players and your first round pick this year as well as your first round pick in, let's say, you know, 2024 or 2025 with heavy uh, draft protection, saying, you know, top eight protection on it. And if they want it, you know, throw in 
a second round draft pick somewhere along the line. So don't you got to make that call and, and say, because a clearly he doesn't want to be with the Pelicans, but you could take advantage of what's a bad situation for them right now, because they're trying to improve. They're trying to build something there, but they have a young hopeful star that is a giant gray cloud that continues to loom over that franchise that they're seemingly getting nothing for. And maybe for once when it comes to the Knicks, maybe you can be on the right end of getting high value, be on the right end of pulling off a coup rather than getting taken advantage of. And it would be something that would set some excitement and a positive mindset for your fan base coming off of a a year where you were the four seed last year, had an early exit in the postseason, and then this year continue to look like a walking train wreck as you sit here at 25 and 36 and 12th in the Eastern Conference with uh, Julius Randle continuing to look like trash and performances um, great performances by R.J. Barrett being wasted left and right. Now, maybe something to think think about for the Knicks front office and something for Knicks fans to once again pine and dream about heading into this offseason. All right, going to take another break here, come back on the, uh, the other side and turn my attention uh, to the NFL where you have Aaron Rodgers... No, continuing to uh, do questionable things. Tom Brady making a questionable decision and a different kind of an NFL free agent carousel. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. You know, I talked about LeBron before, always seeming to want to change narratives about himself, always seeming to want to make himself the focus. But... At least when it comes to him, he always seems committed 
on the court. I mean, he seems to have commitments going every which way, depending on what the day is, whether it's committing to one to play with his son one day or committing the next day to being a Laker for life. But at least he seems committed to something. Quite frankly, it's a, a lot more than we could say about Aaron Rodgers, who it feels like I've been through a spin cycle, you know, rinse, dry, and repeat when it comes to this guy. Because go back very early in his career, I was one of the harshest Aaron Rodgers critics. And that was mostly because it felt like after about a year and a half, everyone was ready to induct him into the Hall of Fame. Then he won the Super Bowl, and I had to kind of shut my mouth for a little while, even though he was you know, ticking me off with how every time they'd win, it would be a lot of eyes, 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 me, the, uh, um, I did this kind of stuff. And then when they'd lose, it would be a lot of we's and us's and whatnot during the post-game press conferences. But then as time grew, went on, I thought, oh, he matured. I thought he, he grew up. And I've been very much on his side in the last year as he's gone went through this dispute with the Green Bay Packers at a time where he felt like he was being disrespected by that organization. And I felt like, you know what, when you're the face of a franchise, when you're the main reason that, that this team is relevant and would probably be picking in the top 10 of the draft every year if you didn't have him as your quarterback, maybe you should take uh, some of his suggestions um, in, into consideration every once in a while. Well, this last, let's say, six months, he has started to annoy the living hell out of me. I mean, at first it started off when he lied about the vaccination status, which I didn't care that he wasn't vaccinated. I cared that he lied to us and put uh, people who thought he was vaccinated um, and in danger and it said he was just trying to be cute with the way he worded things. Well, now since the season ended, every time you turn around, or at least since the Packers season ended, every time you turn around, it seems like, Oh, every time there's a story about Tom Brady or a story about the Super Bowl, Aaron Rodgers has to make sure that his name is put out there. It's like, uh Oh, they're not talking about me today. I got to get a a different story about me put out there. And the latest was late in the day last Monday when he posted a kind of cryptic Instagram post that he entitled hashtag Monday Night Gratitude for some of the incredible special people in my life uh, with some pictures from the last beautiful year. And then he would talk about his supposedly ex-girlfriend, uh, um, Shanae Woodley, if that's how it's pronounced, uh, uh, talking about uh, how they met and uh, 
how they uh, start their life together. You know, there's conflicting reports on whether they're still together. That's none of my business, and I'm in no place to judge that. Then he would uh, talk about uh, the quarterback room and the time he spent with uh, uh, quarterbacks coach uh, Nathaniel Hackett, uh, that he spent with Jordan Love and the uh, other coaches and quarterbacks on staff and how much fun that was each day. We'll talk about some of his uh, best friends on the team, such as Randall Cobb and David Bakhtiari, who he entitled the Friday Crew, and then addressed all of his teammates, past and current, before uh, saying to everyone, spread love, gratitude, you beautiful people, and read a book um, once in a, a while while you're at it, love and peace. At first, you're thinking, all right, it's either A, a retirement uh, speech, or B, things haven't gotten back to all kumbaya in Green Bay as reported, and he's writing his goodbye to the Green Bay Packers in preparations for a hopeful trade this coming offseason. Well, then, later in the week, he would do what has become his weekly pastime, and that's his hourly session on the Pat McAfee show, where you knew Pat was going to address this with him before they got into some of the BS that they talk about on a weekly basis and start breaking out the drinks, as they usually do. And Rodgers would start off saying, quote, there will be no decision on my future today. There's nothing cryptic about gratitude. I was just going through some old pictures uh, from last year and felt an immense amount of gratitude for the life I have, uh, the lessons that I've learned, and the growth that happened over the last year and the people who have been part of this journey, end quote. I mean, no cryptic about it, nothing Oh, just trying to spread gratitude? I mean, come on, Aaron. Listen, I've as I've said, I've been a big supporter of yours, but I, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. I, I can smell BS from a mile away, and that's utter garbage that you're telling us that you weren't trying to be cryptic about it. You were clearly trying to spend, send some kind of message, whether it was, oh, we haven't talked about you in a week, to 10 days, so let's get Aaron Rodgers the lead focus once again. Or you're trying to send a message to the Packers or trying to, to uh, prepare yourself for retirement if that's the route you're going to go this offseason, which I still don't believe that that's going to happen. You know, just be honest with us. You know, the, the BS and trying to be cute about things is what got you in trouble Earlier this year, and I don't mean legally in trouble, I mean trouble as far as the court of public opinion where everyone thought you were an a-hole for lying about your vaccination status. Just be real. That you know, people respect honesty more so than they do, you know, cryptic natures of posts or trying to put out some kind of false narrative. And that's all. Until some kind of decision 
is made definitively one way or another, whether it's you announcing with the Packers some kind of new contract extension or a trade being announced to either the Broncos or the 49ers or you retire this offseason, anything, any announcements that you make, whether it's publicly uh, speaking on the Pat McAfee show or announcing as social media posts are going to be viewed as just that, cryptic and attention-seeking. Now, speaking of attention-seeking, I'm not sure whether he's going through some retirement crisis or whatnot, or he's just trying to match LeBron James. But Tom Brady is now going to produce and appear in a football-themed road trip-like movie that will be titled 80 for Brady. And on the surface, this sounds like a walking pile of crap and a disaster waiting to happen. When you look at it, the story, supposedly inspired by a real-life true story, is about four best friends who are New England Patriot fans that are going to be traveling to Super Bowl 51 in two th- from back in 2017 to see their quarterback hero, Tom Brady. And it details the chaos that ensues um, on this wild ride to the game, um, to the sport's biggest game. And the four women starring in this are actresses Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Rita Moreno, and Sally Field, who together have an average age of about 83. Tomlin's 82, Fonda's 84, Moreno's 90, and Field is 75, which, you know, the fact that they're still getting roles and doing them well at that, at those advanced ages, God bless them, and, you know, can't blame them for wanting uh, to continue on with their careers. But this story, it, it feels like this could be a bigger disaster or as big a disaster as Kevin James's recent movie where he was playing Sean Payton. And Tom Brady, it feels like he is doing this because he has no idea what to do with his life because the last 22 some odd years of it have been spent on the football field. It's like Tom and the nonsense. Just, you know, tell us you were joking and come on back. You know, you still want to play. You know, that come June, you're going to be preparing your bags, whether it's going to be going to Bucks training camp, although, you know, you just lost a member of your offensive line. Who knows if you're going to want to go back to there or if you're going to be traded to the 49ers and um, play for your boyhood team, playing the, the position that your childhood idol, um, Joe Montana, was playing in, in trying to get that franchise back to Super Bowl glory. You know you want to come back. You know that in the back of your mind you're planning a comeback. Why stage all these shenanigans and go through all of this just to prepare, prepare yourself for a comeback? Just end this retirement and get, come on back. Because 
this movie sounds like it's going to be a disaster and it's just going to be a slight tarnish on your legacy that so far has been completely spotless. Now, in past years, around this time, one of the biggest talking points in the NFL is about free agency. And I believe tomorrow is the the drop-dead date for teams to make decisions about their use of the franchise tag. And there will be some interesting decisions that have to be made, led by whether the Green Bay Packers franchise tag Devontae Adams. Well, never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd be sitting here talking about NFL of an NFL free agent carousel like this, and it not involving the players. Hell, not even involving front office executives. We're talking about the announcers because, you know, with Amazon coming into the mix, Amazon Prime coming into the mix next year, everybody is starting to line up as far as preparing how they're going to set up their broadcast booths, in particular, their A-teams for the prime spots. And the prime spots, of course, are the the four, uh, 25 time slots on both Fox and CBS, NBC Sunday Night Football, ESPN slash ABC with Monday Night Football, and then that Amazon Prime is joining the party in getting the exclusive uh, uh, rights to uh, Thursday Night Football, becoming the first streaming service to get uh, one of these uh, Prime sports packages. Well, the first domino dropped in that this past week. As Troy, it's been reported, nothing officially announced yet, although it sounds like it's all but a done deal, that Troy Aikman is leaving Fox after, I think was there for over 15 years, leaving Fox to join ESPN um, to become uh, their lead analyst on Monday Night Football for a, a whopping five years, $90 million which you knew that if he was going to leave Fox, he was going to ask for for Romo money because he's been doing it a lot longer and for better than Romo has uh, been doing it. Now, when I first heard this report, initially I I was a little disappointed because I actually like the the booth that they had together on ESPN – as it's sat right now with Steve Levy doing play-by-play and then Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick as your analysts on the game. I thought it was a pretty good booth and it seemed, you know, that they were pretty popular compared to some of the recent booths that Monday Night Football had tried to squeeze together. You know, they made it about the game, not about themselves. And listen, none of us, I I think have ever tuned in for an NFL game based on the announcers. We tune in based on the action on the field, but ESPN clearly wanted to uh, get a big fish feeling that, Oh, 
if we get Aikman in here, maybe we'll start to get more of the bigger games from Monday Night Football that we were starting to lose to NBC for Sunday Night Football. Because you face it, you, you look at it, the last you know several years, NBC has been getting the better package on Sunday nights compared to Monday Night Football on ESPN. And a lot of that has been uh, based on NBC being... Uh, you know, network television uh, rather than, you know, a cable package uh, uh, television channel. And the fact that NBC late in the season can flex into certain games. You can't flex games on Monday Night Football. You're kind of stuck with what you get. But, you know, you get Aikman in the mix there. Maybe that leads you to getting bigger games for what is still considered a a holy grail amongst players when it comes to the NFL schedule because you're the only game going on in that day, in that time, and everyone uh, turns all their attention and focus to Monday Night Football. And with Aikman coming, you would wonder what happens at Fox. You know, Fox had been talking to Sean McVay, but he is uh, let it be known that he's going to be sticking with the Rams and coaching. There's also the Sean, pa- there's also Sean Payton sitting out there who they've been uh, talking to kind of, I guess in a battle with Amazon trying to get his services on the surface. That would seem like a weird fit with Joe Buck, but now you're seeing the reports that ESPN wants to bring Joe Buck along with Troy to do Monday Night Football. And, you know, if you're Joe Buck, you've, you've got, you've got to ask yourself something here because he's making $11 million at Fox right now, doing the NFL on Sundays, calling the Baseball World Series, and calling certain games during the, the season. you got to imagine, if he goes to ESPN for... Monday Night Football, while scheduling, it would probably not conflict with the World Series. ESPN would probably not allow their lead guy to still work for another network. So if your buck, is the World Series still that important to you that you'd be willing to give it up to probably make $20 million a year doing Monday Night Football and then getting a lot of time off? Because, you know, you know, these guys, believe it or not, they like to work. You know, the, yeah, they, they get a, a boatload of time off during the year. But you see some of these announcers, where they're jumping around city to city during uh, the baseball and football seasons, doing both sports at the same time, as well as basketball as well, and, you know, only taking... So a little bit of time off in the summer. I mean, look at look at Ian Eagle. At any given time, he could be doing one night a college game, the next night the Nets, and then the the next afternoon he's doing uh, uh, Sunday football for CBS. And his name is going to be brought up a lot here because you know if Buck leaves Fox and goes to ESPN, who becomes the lead guy at Fox? It, do they just bump up the combination of 
Burkhart and Charles Davis, or since Iron Eagle is probably not going to get the number one spot at CBS anytime soon, does Fox come calling to him? Hey, I'm okay with that as long as it doesn't affect him calling any Nets games. We don't want to lose Ian uh, doing the Yes broadcasts. But everyone is clearly trying to step up their games, step up their broadcasts with Amazon Prime joining the mix. I mean, Amazon Prime, you know, they've had their heart set the whole time on going and getting Al Michaels for play-by-play for Thursday Night Football. And as long as he doesn't go to ESPN and do Monday Night Football, it feels like at this point that in all likelihood, Al's going to be doing uh, Thursday Night Football next season. The question's going to become, who's he going to be doing those games with? Now, at first you thought it could have been him and Troy Aikman, but now Troy is going to Monday nights. And he, um, as much as he wanted Troy, now now there's other options to discuss. You know, there's uh, the Sean, Sean McVay was once thought as an option, but he's staying in football. Do they make a run at Sean at at uh, Sean Payton? Do they make a run at trying to take Drew Brees away from NBC because, you know, Drew's in the studio, but I'm sure he'd like to do some broadcasting of games, analyzing games, and is probably not going to get that opportunity as long as Chris Collinsworth is still there. There's also the, this that's been thrown in, in the mix that Peter King has uh, brought up recently, that... Amazon is now eyeing ESPN's Kirk Herbstreet, and it would be feasible because in Herbstreet's contract with ESPN, um, the deal was written to allow him to still do his college game day and um, you know college football playoff and prime uh, time Saturday night games, while also doing. Uh, work for calling ES NFL games for a different entity at the same time. So no, is is that something he's looking to do? Is that something he's going to be jumping to do? I mean, all of this sounds a bit confusing. All of this seems like it's just this this mismatch uh, and all being thrown around, but it's, it's fascinating that we're sitting here, on the final day of February and free agency and a carousel as far as NFL announcers is one of the biggest talking points, one of the biggest stories in all of professional sports. All right, going to take one last break here, come back on the other side and close out this podcast for the week. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Get 
Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Not sure there were many people out there, especially in the sports world, that had a worse week than Phil Mickelson. And if you guys uh, didn't see it, Phil Mickelson made some, on the surface, rather controversial comments over uh, the last week, talking about this new Saudi Arabia-backed golf league. He told these in an interview with a journalist uh, in named, uh, let me see real quick here, uh, Alan uh, Shipnuck, who, who's um, writing a book on Phil Mickelson. And he, uh, in this interview, Phil Mickelson talked about why um he and other uh, top golfers that he's recruiting uh, um, for this uh, golf league are doing this, saying that it wasn't so much about success for that league as much as it was a chance to reshape the PGA Tour, feeling that the PGA Tour is been, quote, manipulative, uh, um, strong and using strong arm tax tactics and that they're uh, doing this to gain a, a leverage on commissioner uh, Jay Monahan saying, quote, I'm not, I'm not sure I even want it to succeed. I just want the idea of, of it allowing us to get things done with the tour saying also saying quote, knowing even knowing all of the things that has been done in Saudi Arabia, I would, I consider this because it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to reshape the, how the PGA PGA tour operates. And since then, he's tried to backtrack on those comments because it's come from a lot of criticism publicly. It's come from criticism from uh, some of his peers, uh, including the likes of, of, you know, Roy McIlroy. Um, it it's uh, led uh, to uh, other golfers saying that he's you no know, kind of out of his mind with this. 
And since then, Phil has been hit where it hurts the most, in the wallet. Because he's lost out on sponsorship deals with Callaway Golf, with uh, this accounting firm, uh, uh, KPMG, Amstel Light Beer. They've terminated their contracts with them. And his his charity, which had been a supporter of the American Express uh, PGA Tour event, will no longer be connected with that tournament, uh, a tournament that he had been the host of since 2020. And I know he's come out and apologized. He's come out, tried to say that he was, his comments were taken out of context. Well, Phil, what kind of context uh, were you wanting us to take it as? And even if you were thinking that, why say it? Because A, You've long been viewed as one of the great guys of this sport. Well, one of the most popular people in golf. And then you're going to come out with comments saying, yeah, I know that Saudi Arabia has done a lot of bad stuff, but I'm willing to essentially sell my soul on that just to change the way things are done in the PGA. Even if you're thinking that, don't say it. Because you know that you're going to get destroyed to uh, the nth degree. Now, listen, I've always been all about expressing your opinion and expressing uh, yourself. But there are certain things you can't say because they come off as disrespectful and offensive to others. And this is right along those lines. And the second those quotes came out of your mouth, you knew that you were done as far as your connection with all of these top, you know, promotions or top uh, sponsorship deals that you had, you know, for the longest time you were viewed as, as great a golfer as you are viewed as that lovable feel good story in the PGA. Now today, most people are looking at you as a pariah and something that they want nothing to do with. And you now, speaking of someone who's kind of running their mouth, in the brief baseball that I'll talk about today, because I'm kind of annoyed with that situation going on, Marcus Stroman, for the first time since he left the Mets, signed with the Cubs earlier this offseason, put out some curious tweets last week that first started with talking about him running into his now former teammate, possible former teammate, who knows maybe sons with the Cubs, uh, Michael Conforto out in Arizona and uh, saying, quote, he automatically upgrades any team um, in all facets. He will rake all future and play great defense worth every penny, pay the man what he deserves. And then when some Met fans uh, chimed in saying that they hope he comes back, Stroman would say, quote, I'm hoping he's well paid elsewhere. Very, very thankful to be out of there for several reasons. God always got me beyond excited to perform for an incredible fan base who appreciates their players um, at Cubs. And this comes uh, 
just months after Marcus Stroman um, posted tweets of A, thanking the uh, Mets organization, um, saying that he um, he was uh, thankful for his time there. But on Tuesday, then he, he writes that he's beyond thankful to have left the team. Um, and when pressed by many people on Twitter to expand on those comments, saying the world isn't ready uh, for those answers, to be honest. Quote, just look at who the Mets hired as their GM. That tells you enough. His lack of awareness for a previous... His previous position is being exposed to the public now. Um, I'm beyond thankful to be gone from that organization. Of course, he's talking about Billy Epler, the former, the now general manager of the Mets, who was the GM uh, of the Angels uh, during the time in which uh, Tyler Skaggs passed away. And now we're seeing all of that play out. And at first you're thinking, wow, Marcus Stroman, why so bitter, man? Why why you got to be so angry? Why you got to be so pissed off all, all the time? And now this is a guy that's always seemingly out there, always seemingly, you know, kind of quirky, kind of weird with some of his, uh, some of the things that he speaks out on. But then on Wednesday, you could understand it or what he's talking about um, when he said, quote, Endless death threats, being called the N-word often, hearing black lives don't matter, and playing for a front office that didn't care about any of that. I will speak on this topic on my time and on my podcast at some point, still dealt on the mound through all of that. And he did. He he was great with the Mets in his uh you know, two years with the Mets, because remember, he opted out in the 2022 season or the 2020 season uh, during the midst of the pandemic. But in 44 starts with the Mets, he had an ERA just over three at 3.21, a whip of uh, two uh, of 1.23, not, you know, Cy Young worthy stuff, but very respectable. You know, the Mets just it seemed like every time Marcus Stroman pitched, he was on the same problem that Jacob DeGrom always had, and that's not getting a lot of run support. That's why he went uh, in those starts. He had a, a record of 14 and 15 with uh, 11 or, excuse me, uh, 15 no decisions. He pitched very well for them, but you no. Know, this time I can understand Marcus being pissed off, and this time I can understand him being annoyed because – no one wants to hear death threats. No one wants to hear that evil, disgusting, ugly, vile word thrown their way or being told that because of the color of their skin, their life doesn't matter. Um, it, it's just, it's, you know, and I don't want to paint all Met fans with that broad brush. And it probably wasn't just Met fans. It was probably some fans on the road that said it in either rare times that he got his ass kicked or times that he dominated their team and they were just, you know, pissed off and they handled things the complete wrong way of doing things. But, you know, these things, you know, the way these athletes perform, it should never be taken 
personal. We should never be taking these personal shots. Yeah, you want to boo because someone performed badly. You want to get annoyed. Fine. But don't make it personal. Don't make death threats. Don't drop the N-bomb like that because in the end of day, he's just trying to do his job, make a living for his family. It just so happens he's able to do something that you and I can't do don't have the physical talent to do so he was graced by the hand of god to be good enough to be making money doing a sport that at the end of the day is his livelihood and shouldn't affect how we think or view him as a person and he he received some support from uh some uh, ex-big leaguers, so both who happen to be black, and Preston Wilson and Latroy Hawkins, both guys who were veterans, well-respected veterans during their playing career. And, you know, I was thinking a lot about Latroy Hawkins this past week because Latroy was a Yankee for half a season in 2008. And he was not good with the Yankees, had an ERA over six, uh, a high whip, was not a good reliever for us in what was otherwise a respectable big league career. And why he came to mind from 2008, because that year he chose to wear the number 21. And he did so because he, he wanted to honor Roberto Clemente, who was no, a hero in his family and a well-deserved hero. But Yankee fans at Yankee Stadium did not take too kindly to that and booed the living crap out of this guy every time he took the mound because he wore the number 21, a number that is sacred to this generation of Yankee fans because it was worn by the warrior Paul O'Neill. And many fans had, in their own minds, retired that number up until now, not wanting another player to wear it. Remember, when Roger Clemens got here, he was 21 all through his time with Boston and Toronto. Never tried to take that. Took 22. Even Didn't even try to take it when he came back in 2007. The Yankees, other than Latroy, had never given out that number. Well, now... Justice is going to be served here because, you know, it all depends on if we're going to have a season. But on Sunday, August 21st, Paul O'Neill's number 21 will be retired. And I know there's a lot of people, non-Yankee fans out there, they're saying, oh, the Yankees are retiring a number, another number. This will make it 23 players, 22 overall numbers to be retired or should I say 23 numbers and 24 players because remember eight is retired twice for Yogi Berra and Bill Dickey but Paul O'Neill is so well deserved of this honor he played over half of his careers nine of his 17 big league seasons with the Yankees and in that time had he played in all north of 1200 games was always out there for uh, you know, 140 plus games, excluding that one year that where there was the strike in '94, had 195 or 185 home runs, 858 RBIs, 
dro- uh, scored 720 runs and a slash line of 303, 377, and um, a slugging of uh, 492 over that time. And his best year was probably the year of the greatest Yankee team in my lifetime and arguably the greatest team of all time, not just Yankees, but in all of baseball, when they won a, at the time, record-setting 114 regular season games, won the World Series, and he hit 24 home runs, 116 RBIs, uh, and a slash line of 317, 372, and 510. In a two in a 152 games, and in the postseason, he was a clutch hitter. wasn't you know wasn't as clutch as Jeter and Bernie, but still put up very productive numbers in the postseason. Now I I've always looked at it when it comes to that late 90s group that happened because of three things: a George getting suspended early in the in the 1990s because it allowed um, Gene Michael and Buck Showalter to redesign the organization in the direction that it needed to go in rather than continuously signing high price late in their career veterans to stupid contracts. Then it led to, you know, what was number two on the things that in my mind leading to success. Bernie Williams getting called up in 1990 and him having success because if he didn't have success, who knows what would have happened with the other young guys in Jeter, Posada, Pettit, Mariano, amongst others when George got his suspension lifted. Who knows if they would have been given the same chance that Bernie Williams got if he didn't have success. That's why you know, I've always felt it was unfair he's not included in the core four thing and it's not viewed as the high five because if he didn't have success, they might have not been given their chance. And the third reason... The Paul O'Neill trade before the 1993 season. He was viewed as kind of a, just an average player with uh, the Reds and came here, was a four-time All-Star, was a leader in that locker room, learned how to hit left-handed hitting, and was a huge part of that team's success in winning f- uh, what was four titles in five years and probably... Um, should have been five titles in six years. And I mentioned the numbers he put up in 1998. He did that all while batting third in that lineup. This is a very well-deserved, justified, long overdue honor in most Yankee fans, including my mind. And no, I know there are numbers out there that you could probably argue whether they should be retired. I mean, Don Mattingly is the only player that, has his number retired by this team that is well, that does not have a championship, but hey, it's Donnie Baseball. He was beloved and was a great player for a long time. And now, other than I think maybe Reggie, who did more with the A's than he did with the Yankees, I think you can find justification in almost every number that is retired. Now, that being said, after this is done, I don't know who's next. You know, I've seen people talk about, you know, the likes of either David Cohn or CC Sabathia or, you know, if, you know, say Aaron Judge continues on the 
career pace he's been on. Uh, will he someday get number 99 retired? Who knows? And I'm not going to focus on that for today. Today, it's a day to celebrate and bask and be happy that finally, finally, at 21 years after his playing career it is done, the warrior Paul O'Neill is finally going to get his justification for his time with the Yankees and get his number retired. And that's something we should all rejoice. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 from Monday, February 28th, 2022. Everyone have a great night, have a great week, and I'll talk to you guys again same time next Monday. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.